That was the Smiths. 
just for a change with the track The Headmaster Ritual from the album Meat is Murder. I'm David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should always. Yes, as I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop, this week's special guest is going to be the Potting Sheds, all the way from Livestock, because I caught up with two of the members, bassist David Miles and also guitarist Will Taylor, to find out about life, love and poetry and all that groovy stuff that happens when you're in it in a indie pop band. So I've got that interview that I want to bring to you alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. But to get the party rolling, I think we should play a track by the band. This is Second Best. I know, I 
was also thinking of the Inspiral Carpets at the same time, and almost um, early yes, well, not early yes, just yes with Rick Wakeman at, at certain moments during that song. But anyway, that was not yes or the Inspiral Carpets, but Lowestoff's finest band, The Pot in Sheds, and that was a track titled Second Best that came, um, was released on Mad Cat Records back in 1991. And it did feature their original vocalist, singer Paul Fox, who was going to be replaced by Phil. I know, the world of indie pop, it's murky, but someone's got to do it. But this is David Esau, this is the C86 Show, and this week's special guest is The Pot in Sheds, because I caught up with them really recently um, to find out about life, love and poetry and all that groovy stuff. But this is going to be another track, then the interview. This is titled Recover, and this was um, this was on a compilation that came out of bands from Norfolk and also North Suffolk. God, they're very precise. Titled Burn It to a Crisp. Anyway, this is Recover. Take it away.
And that's the Potted Sheds the track titled Recover. I have no idea who the backing vocalist is, but it did add a lot to that particular song. And like I said, if you were paying attention, I will test you at the end of the show. That was taken from a compilation of bands from Norfolk and North Suffolk. Nothing else, actually. They like to be very regional in indie pop. And that compilation, who has it? Burn it to a crisp. If you got it, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. What else is on it? Anyway, this is David East. So if you want to contact me, um, you can. It's uh, You can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86show and I will be there. Keep it uh, positive and groovy. Otherwise, go and see your therapist about it because I'm not interested. Anyway, this is the first part of my interview with Will and David. Now, how are you going to tell the difference? Actually, Will talks first, and he's got a slightly softer voice. Okay, that's not a giveaway to the rest of the interview. But anyway, this is the first part where I ask them about those early years, because frankly, I'll be honest, I had no idea about them um, before this interview. I knew a few of the songs, but nothing else. I wasn't basically a, a stalking type of fan, actually, who you know, followed them around the country and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Will, tell us how you got it together. I mean, we... we we've... We were at school together, that's when we first sort of met. And, and was um, this in Lowestoft? It was, yeah, yeah. And and we were kind of into that sort of music. I mean, David more than more than I. David was a was a, was a peel listener. Yes. And and uh, and we kind of you know, we a lot of the same bands we started listening to together and, and started, you know, I remember you, you buying records that you'd heard on Peel and bringing them around my house and we were listening to some of this stuff and just, you know, getting into into all that sort of stuff. And and at the time they didn't feel like there was much of a scene. Certainly, there there weren't many people. You know, and when I mean the scene, I mean people listening to it. There weren't there weren't lots of other people who were sort of yes. talking. So we kind of had this thing in common, and then we we kind of just just not really as anything serious. We started just doing a little bit of playing together, writing a few you know, basic songs, and so not with an aim to kind of do anything. But then, uh, so that kind of. So what year was this? Well, at school that would have been, I don't know, sort of. 485 I guess when we were kind of first listening to that sort of music right. but we didn't really do anything we didn't do anything properly until 1988 I don't yeah, really yeah so yeah. what would you been listening to as young chaps you know what was the musical because obviously at that period there was the post punk period plus there was all the chart stuff with you know Duran Duran and Howard Jones and the <laughs> romantic so where were you where did you fall in that not not world? with Howard you know, <laughs> Jones and Duran Duran we um I liked things like Echo and the Bunny Men, Teardrop Explodes, Chameleons, that sort of stuff, but more up to date then. I, I was said I did like the Lemon Drops in 1986, yeah, didn't I? Lemon Drops was, was one um, of those. I liked the Wedding Present a lot, yeah. and you liked the Wedding Present. They played Lowestoft South Pier. Right. So we, yeah. 17 people were there, we were two that of them. Was, that, that was one of, yeah, that was one of the, 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 the first sort of life experiences. So was it, it a bit like the Manchester gig where the Sex Pistols played at the, the Free Trade and everyone went on to perform a band? <laughs> yeah, uh, possibly. And who, who was, was it? Richo was there, yeah, so there yeah, were other bands. It was, it was the support, was it? Uh, oh, Asia Chance. Asia Chance. Yeah, they were support. My God, that's yeah. amazing! Game yeah. for seventeen people in Nostar. Yeah. yeah, it was. It, was, it was in the big. Was, because no one, it wasn't just that no bands like that played Lowestoft. Just no bands played Lowestoft, and it was just out of the blue. And it was the main, the main room there as well. It wasn't like the side room where we played later on and things. And it could have taken five hundred people quite easily. Yeah. So it looks crazy with seventeen people at the front. It must have been a bit strange for the band as well. Well, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it was quite early days for the wedding yeah, present, was, wasn't it? But. Yeah, yeah, that was nineteen eighty, end of nineteen eighty five, I think. So. Yeah. so you were still playing. You were in at school while being in a band. Well, yeah, I was call it a band. I was just, you know, we were just kind of mucking about. We like we borrowed a drum machine and just, just sort of, you know, we were yes, just, you know, because 
just to just to try, but it wasn't it wasn't we didn't see it as being a band band really. We, we both went off to university, different different, ones, different yeah. locations, and um, sort of came back in holidays. We still did a bit together. Yeah. And when we finished university, we made a decision, wouldn't we? We'll come back and yeah, be that, in a band. Yeah. We did, both deliberately came right. back to do that. So you had three years away from Lowestoft, yeah. did your thing, and amazingly came back. Because most people, you know, like all the cliches about people having a relationship and say, well, I'll stick with you. And then you know, obviously <laughs> well, it breaks uh, yeah, up in the first, I, you know, all those ideas go in the first yeah. term, don't they? No, I, I think, I think um, interestingly enough, the, the, the scene in Norwich anyway, it seemed to, to uh, over that period of three years, it seemed to, um, you know, it, it, it stuff to expand it. So, you know, the Wild Club was, was starting, Barry, yes. Barry Newman was starting to put on the, 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 the bands on. So one, I think part of the, the very end of that, we were still at. I think we were in our final years at university. We got off at that point. We kind of did have a band in some form, and we got we got offered um, to play at the art centre there, supporting King of the Slums. And that was that was kind of one of those. Um, okay, this is this is you know, this is the start of something because that's something we kind of you know we had on our a view or if we form a band, we want to play at the art centre. Yes. So I think you know that that was kind of a well, we might as well continue this for a bit if we can maybe we'll get to play the art centre again sort of thing well it's interesting because most bands have they aim quite low most people I've interviewed say you know we just wanted a record played on John Peel and went god we've done it and then yeah. suddenly, you know bizarrely they get a session and then they think oh actually well, let's just go and do the album and then the sort of the tour around the the clubs you know as in the the kind of indie clubs around Britain which there was this circuit which mm. was quite interesting mm. then there would be a club in Manchester Leeds you know, Glasgow, Bristol, you know, and obviously Norwich as well as various places in Leicester and also London. So so there was kind of a network and also Harlow in Essex mm. as well. So, so yeah. So did it take a while to get your sound together? Because having sort of been, having been around a lot of people um, when I was young, obviously, <laughs> who were starting bands at school, they mostly played a few gigs in a pub, sounded a bit like something pretty un interesting and that was the end of their career so so how did how did you manage to sort of make something that was a bit more in in you know because normally people play in front of their friends family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to see them <laughs> so how did that sort of get a sound that was kind of like oh yeah this is quite interesting i don't know really i think i think we we kind of we liked a lot of the same sort of music but it wasn't all the same music if you see what i mean so so i don't know i don't know why it, it kind of it just kind of happened as it happened, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't set out to do a particular type of music. I think there is some variation in yeah. the sort of the styles of the songs. But now you listen back to it, like twenty five years later or whatever, it does sound a bit of its time. Yes. But at the time, yeah. we thought we were they were quite different the songs, yeah. and we were touching various genres. Because so. we were listening to a lot of that, you know, the stuff we discussed and love stuff John Peel. But we were we were also listening to sort of some American stuff. So I was yes. quite keen on REM and. Um, and it was, was we were discussing a little while ago. We we, we listened to a lot of that um, Paisley Underground stuff for the Long Riders and the, the Rain Parade and Green on Red and particularly the Dream Syndicate. So that we were kind of keen on all those sort of bands. Which they maybe, you know, was, mm. was a bit of the bit of the sound and a bit of it was the more jangly English stuff. Yeah. I think I brought coalesced. I brought the indie pop, didn't I? Yeah. And you had the sort of more of that guitar sound. Yeah, and then we had, and, and I guess the bit at the time felt a bit different. Probably wasn't so much a bit later. It was we, we 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 had keyboards, which a lot of the bands didn't. And again, we were kind of we, we liked the doors, so that was kind of a bit of a thing for the keyboards. You yes. Know, um, although that wasn't a main part of our, you know, it wasn't like the big thing, like like 
the band like the Spiral Carpets. No, it was t- a bit of a towards bit of the end we were phasing the keyboards out as yeah. well, weren't we? So yeah, post potentially we weren't going to go yeah. down that route so much anymore. But I think I think it just kind of I don't know, it just kind of. I think because we weren't trying to sound like one, but we, we like lots of bands, but we, we weren't trying to sort of hone into one particular one. It, was, it kind of just kind of coalesced as it did, really. Indeed, the early years. That's the first part of my interview with Will and David from the Potting Sheds. I've still got quite a bit more to come up of that interview. Anyway, look, if you're interested in the band, and you should be, because frankly, they're fantastic, um, they have a compilation that came out, I do believe, a few years ago. I think we talk about this a bit later on in the interview. Um, at my age, actually, anything that happened last week, I forget, but 20 years, 30 years ago, straight in there. No, it came out in 2017, and it was on the amazing Cloudbury record label, which is based in America. And um, there's three really good record labels you should check out. Obviously, Cherry Red, that's kind of obvious, but there's also Fire Station Records from Germany and also Cloudbury in America. And they seem to be hoovering up all these very obscure indie bands from that golden decade. So uh, do check that out. Anyway, that's the pod in sheds and you can probably find that on all good websites but i think we should have another track by the band this is going to be happy again And that's the Potting Sheds and the track titled Happy Again. This is going to be the second part of my interview where we started talking about, A, their early years of recording, which was going to be in the late 80s. And I'd been just mentioning that the indie pop years had been really from 83 to 87. That was the years of the Smiths, if you want to know. And um, 
or not. And then there was a dance scene and then grunge came along. So there was an awful lot of stuff happening and a lot of change going on during that period. Obviously, there was also people like Bross happening in the uh, the mainstream market. And then, obviously, in the sort of, I suppose, early to mid-90s was the Britpop period. But let's not go there. But um, yes, so the question was, when did they start recording? Because um, we talked about how the musical scene and landscape was about to change. And this was their answer. And I do believe David jumps right in there like a rat out of an aqueduct. First proper recordings were in 89 where we got in a bit better studio, didn't yeah. we? But we had done some. Well, so Richard Hamilton, who was a big cheese in the Norwich area because he recorded most of the bands in the scene then. Right. Um, he had, when we first recorded with him, he was in his um, semi-detached house yeah, in, they tried, they? in Galston, yeah, which we had to try and make yeah. the drums quiet and we said not to disturb his neighbours. Then he moved into an industrial unit yeah. in Yarmouth and then he eventually moved to an old church in Norwich. So we followed him through his studio. But they, that, I mean, that, yeah, that, the timing was kind of kind of ideal for us because when we just started and we didn't have much money and much experience, he was just starting with his stuff and as, as he got bigger, we, we kind of were putting, putting yes. records out and stuff. So yeah, it, was good, it was good to have, you know... So had you moved out of the low off kind of area and sort of moved more into that Norwich kind of because the art centre and the wild yeah club, that was the, the big thing we 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 lived in Lowestoft but we considered ourselves a Norwich yeah. band didn't we really because yeah. that's where we, where the scene was yeah having having said that there was one thing about one thing we kind of did you know that, this, that kind of you know the whole indie do-it-yourself sort of thing we, we used to put on that um, sort of um, nights in around that area where we lived and, and those were kind of really popular because because there were there weren't a lot of other things on, I think. So, yes. And so we kind of used to get other indie bands in and, and sort of put these events on. So that that you know. So but but most of it was was aimed at you know Norwich and, and further afield. Yes, because most bands have you know like this the five year narrative of, and mostly you know their first couple of years. And I suppose this is like that mid early to mid eighties. You know they spend two years unemployed but making music, and then John Peel picks it up plays it gets the John Peel session so then they get that sort of play around you know the circuit around the UK you know which is the, all those kind of indie nights and you know which normally are at the beginning of the week because obviously that's when venues kind of think oh yeah you can put an indie night on on a Monday or Tuesday yeah. because but not on a Friday or Saturday because we can get something else on so there, there was that kind of scene so they they that sort of gave them that stepping stone to doing the album and then possibly that kind of proper tour around the country. So how did your narrative go with the with the potting sheds? Well, we didn't find gigs that easy to come no. by outside the local area. We um we had the national airplay because we had Peel playing several of our songs, but when we rung up venues and said we were on Peel on Monday, they said so what? So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah it, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it, that bit was tricky, wasn't it? I think in, in, you know you're talking about those, those nights. So I think those were hugely important in terms of you know creating the scene. Because yes. I think the, the Wild Club was really important because you know you you, you met because otherwise you wouldn't meet all these other bands. You know, if you were occasionally supporting one band in a venue and someone else was supporting another band in another venue, you'd never come across them. But because you had this regular Monday night, you kind yes. of come across the same people and you, you you'd kind of meet. So our our first record we did was a was a split flexi disc, wasn't it? And that was with another one of the bands we kind of we kind of. And what label was that on? That was that was our own. Yes. Yeah, we were Barry Newman, who ran the World Club in Norwich. He suggested that we did a flexi because he'd just done some. He'd done a couple of flexies before he did his. He started doing twelve inches, but he started off with flexies. Needed split flexies of two bands, and he said that we ought to do one of those. We thought that was a good idea. We teamed up with another band and we did that. 
and it then like it was associated with a with, with a, a fanzine. fanzine yeah. yeah, it was the first issue of a Norwich fanzine that it came out with right. called I Saw You, and that was starting up as well. And then Peel played that, didn't he? And then we yeah. thought we'd better make a proper single, <laughs> but we only had a certain amount of money, didn't we? So we did a seven-inch single. Yeah. Um, again, he played played that as well, and we didn't. The, the night that was played, we didn't even hear that on on the radio. Um, yeah, we first we heard about it is we started getting some fan mail from all of fields, and it just showed you the reach Peel had. We had, I remember getting a postcard from Poland. Wow! So 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 yeah, the, he had a bit of a reach. Yes, well, I didn't, I hadn't appreciated it, but John Peel was this kind of gatekeeper of so much uh, that we don't really have that person anymore no. that you can go to. to and then sort of have a certain trust in this person to play, you know, like a really good indie song, rock song, reggae song, African song. You know, he, he put all that together and just gave you this show. So he, you know, you could go to him and sort of have a certain trust in what he did as a sort of, you know, it was kind of quite an easy one-stop shop, really, wasn't yeah. it? So, yes, John Peel was hugely influential in that. So then what? How, how did the band then sort of progress? Because obviously sort of putting out singles and flexi discs and playing the odd gig was was probably at times it felt slow yeah um yeah i, I think i think it kind of did but it just it still it kind of felt like still worth doing we yes. we, we felt we were making progress and yeah. it was at the point we had the second best single we had our original singer then is when we parted company with him and yeah. it was about that time so between recording that single and it actually coming out and being played on peel and so on we'd actually got a new singer in the meantime yeah. And that was a sort of deliberate thing on our part because we thought we were going to try and step it up to the next level and we wanted a stronger singer. But the other thing we wanted was somebody to write the lyrics because we were still writing the lyrics right. at that point and we weren't lyricists by any means and we wanted somebody to bring that to it, didn't we? Yeah. And Phil, when he came in, did do that. So. Yeah. I think that's, that's what, you know, you, I think that's kind of the bit we didn't have that a lot of a lot of kind of maybe bands did is they, they kind of when you know, people met at school or whatever and they were kind of fully formed. Yeah, we kind of didn't have that. We we had the two of us, but then you know it wasn't until we you know it, it was really tricky. Again, the, the the there weren't a large pool of people who listened to that sort of music. So getting drummers and keyboard players who yes. who were willing to play the drums, let alone like that that sort of music was was really quite tricky at first. And then so then yeah, as I say, uh, once we'd done a little bit more, it was a bit easier then to say let's see if we can expand it and get and get other people involved who who were interested in the same stuff and can contribute. You know, to the, to the so music having lo- losing a singer, which is often a bit drastic, <laughs> and then sort of getting a, a person to write the lyrics, how did that sort of progress with the band? So I think that, and that, I mean, we felt at the time that was a, that was a kind of a, uh, a really positive thing. I was to say, I think I think we the lyrics were something we'd always been struggled with and not been so happy. It, it was gradual, wasn't it? Because yeah. we. We got him in. Well, first of all, we met in a pub and we had a chat about influencers and things like that and where we were going with it. And we right. played him our stuff and he played us his stuff. And then we um, we did some rehearsals and he was just singing the old Potting Shed songs as such. And we had a couple in development, didn't he, which yeah. were, were pretty fully formed and he played on them. But as a couple of months went by, we didn't put any lyrics or melodies on it at all after a while. He, we just gave that straight over to him. Yes. So we still came up with the music, but then we handed over to him to do his bit sort of thing. Yes. Uh, if It felt we had to we hit the ground running quite well yeah. as well because we had a launch night for that single, didn't we, for the second best single. Even though he wasn't singing on it, we, yeah. st- we still launched it like that with him um, doing the... That was his first gig with us. Yeah, yeah. No, yes. I, I just... I mean, personally, it just felt like it was a bit more serious and it was a bit more... I don't know... There, 
sometimes when we'd written the lyrics, you know, you'd listen back to the record and think, well, I like the, you know, Sam's good, but there's bits in there I cringe a bit, they're not very good. We knew we couldn't, and, and then, uh, then when, we, when his lyrics started coming in, uh, and and not just you know not not just the lyrics but also the way of singing you know kind of phrasing stuff differently it just it suddenly felt like something a bit you know a, a, a bit more complete for me anyway. I think. Did, were you influ- uh, were you um, sort of following the musical trend so to speak you know because obviously you had the dance scene and Manchester and the Happy Monday Stone Roses Soup Dragons and then you had the grunge scene and then slowly you had these other bands who slightly straddled that like Carter and Lush and I suppose the Cranberries as well who were sort of going to suddenly hit big in that uh, you know that Brit pop period that yeah. we love to sort of categorise these kind of musical trends it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the dance thing was quite I remember with a lot of the bands I mean just just about every band had a song that had Wawa in it didn't they at one stage you, know, you, you had to have that because you know that was the thing so everyone we had one and, and all, all the bands we knew they all had one in there and it was all a bit of a you know kind of a you know, sure we, we, we were um, we did touch on that didn't yeah. we we had a bit of a grungy bits didn't we and we had yeah. keyboardy bits to, to, Although, to reflect the, the, that I, I, yeah the grungy bit's interesting I think I don't, I don't I don't think we were directly influenced by that grunge stuff I mean you can't help not be because you know I, I just remember thinking it suddenly felt it wasn't necessarily that we felt we should sound like that but there was definitely a period where it kind of felt a little bit like that's a new thing Yes. And that and that this sort of jiggly jangly stuff, it's by definition not you know the old thing, uh, so it maybe felt a little bit like that. But I think you know we we kind of had, we weren't we'd never been grungy. We kind of had bits of distorted guitar as well as a, you know that kind of loud quiet thing going on anyway. So yes, yeah. But it, it, it it's interesting because you, you kind of it's easy to look back at it now and think about that stuff. But yeah, I mean, there, there were lots of bands who weren't who were kind of doing that that sort of more of a crossover stuff in a more indie sort of way I think I remember like the new fads were a big we were I remember seeing them at the art centre and that was that that was a big influence on I think a lot quite a lot of the local bands so that was kind of you know it's kind of in that more dancey vein but not not in a Stone Roses yeah, Monday cool. sort of way it was a more we were friendly with a band called the Spinning Jennies from around here yeah. and they're from Dis in fact and um yeah, when they saw the new fads do big, they had a song called Large. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. And, and, and interestingly, I think, you know, like you're talking about the club nights, those things were quite important. It, it, was, it was probably more, you know, if, 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 if a band had played there, you'd seen a band there who would have been really, you know, impressive. You're more likely to be kind of influenced by that than the fact that, you know, one of the bands has been played a lot on and it's starting to yes. break it directly onto the main, you know... Well, there was always, I mean, I'm not sure if there always was, that's a swim statement, but with a lot of those club nights, there seem to be three bands on, which you get a lot for your money. So obviously if you're into that scene and you realise that they weren't just bands that were just filling the number, but they often went on to do other yeah. kind of great things. So those, those, I mean, we all now look back with great nostalgia at those kind of posters, don't we? And think, my God, you had those three bands, and two of those went on to do some amazing yeah. things. Yeah, it was often even four bands. It was yeah. often four, and you'd get your... You would go on first, wouldn't you? Then yeah. you'd feel, oh, we're we're second on the bill now. Oh, we're third on the bill. We were moving up. Yeah, yeah. We didn't often headline, did we? But no. we did a few times. Yes, yeah, so I thought we were going to go into Yaz and the, uh, I don't know, was it the Plastic Nation? Oh, God, it could have been Lisa Stansfield. Anyway, one of those um, artists who did uh, Moving On Up. This is um, David Eastall babbling away there, but this is the C86 show. If you, um, I was going to give you our contact details, but I've already done that, so I won't bore you a second time. But I think we'll play another bit of music and then some more chat by the band. This is titled Same Old Story. (laughs) 
Now that was a very jolly indie pop song. That was um, the Pot in Sheds and the track titled Same Old Story. And um, yes, I just did some intensive research. Basically, I just Googled Googled away and um, it wasn't Yaz or Lisa Stansfield. It was M People who did Moving On Up. And uh, Yaz did another track, which I do believe was titled, he says now, looking down at his notes, The Only Way Is Up. You can see that in 20 years' time, when we're all in sort of care homes, babbling and dribbling and uh, just talking utter nonsense, those uh, nurses who are going to be looking after us are going to get so bored with us saying, who was such and such a band and who did such and such a song? But um, yes, things to look forward to in the next 20 years. Anyway, look, this is going to be the third part of my interview with Will and David from The Potting Sheds, where we talk about, yes, the Wild Club and those amazing nights, as you do um, when you get to a certain age. And um, yeah, we were discussing about lineups and also who the best, uh, the best band that they had uh, supported were. And this, I do believe, is Will's answer. Will, take it away. The bands we played with, I think... 
my my favourite, and I still like them now, is, is the pop guns. I think that, I, I think they were they were they were really good, and, and they, they didn't go on to any sort of level of megastardom, but but they were good. And I liked the family, family cat, cat we played, played with. We liked them. Like, yeah, yes. they were very friendly. But yeah, I mean, there, there were lots of. Uh, it was one of those ones where um, you know you. You, it was kind of potluck who you got put on with to some extent, and you know, so you, you know, someone got put on with um, the really big bands, or the ones who became really big bands. Yes. And some didn't, but so I think uh, I think we, we we probably didn't support that many ones who went to really at, big. But at the time, we thought World of Twist were going to be quite big, yeah. weren't they? they well, we did them I'm, and Top. World we of Twist them. are still quite they're, they're still quite highly respected. You know, that their name is. is Spoken in with hushed tones occasionally <laughs> these days, I think, still. Yes, but, but yeah. it's, it's interesting that Cherry Red Records, other than uh, Fire Station and also Cloudbury, but Cherry Red are the ones who, who have hoovered up most of these bands, haven't they? Yeah. And like Bob, who always seem to be at the art centre yeah, yeah, at yeah. least once a year, if not once yeah. a month. I mean, they've just had a sort of five CD box set oh, okay. published, released. So um, it's interesting. So look, so are we, are we into the 90s now with the band? Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah. when so Britpop is just there over the edge. Ma- majors in government, Thatcher's gone, and and you're still rocking. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to think back in, in in you know in terms of the Britpop thing. I I, I, me- I, me- I remember that being after. That well, that felt after just yeah. after we f- we finished really. So I the, think so. so. The grunge thing was definitely there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so what was the year that you decided? As Jim Morrison's song, <laughs> the end of the band. We didn't as such, did we? So we had a quite successful 12-inch single called Goldfish Memory EP. And that was, was that? that was April 1992 right. that came out. And that coincided with the release week was the same as Norwich Sound City on BBC Radio 1. Oh, yes. So Goodness. we did that deliberately to coincide. <laughs> and we played a couple of times that week as well. Um so we were sort of riding crest of a wave a little bit there because yeah. Peel played us, didn't we? And then we were on daytime radio one and then that, as well. And that was like right. the first. Oh, that was that was now we now got the the, the proper lineup with the full lineup there, you know, with the, with the, the lyric writer and all that sort of stuff happening. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, I remember being pretty happy with that EP and thinking, you know, that there's not lyrics on here. We're not so keen on, or, or you know, this sounds like the band we kind of. On the sound like, so our distributors back said to us if you can do another four track ep we'll put them together and we'll put them out in japan as a mini album wow so so we decided we'd go back fairly straight away and record another four songs and so we did some demos in june of 1992 and our singer phil didn't turn up to the to the demo <laughs> session so we recorded the music but we had no vocals on them so we we went um back we mixed them didn't we to a cassette yeah. And that was the end of that, as far as we were concerned, because he so just hadn't shown. So what happened to Phil? That's the thing. He was, you know, I think part part of the problem was was the fact that we'd been we'd been a band before, and and uh, I think I think kind of Phil. I think he he he, he, he wanted it to be a new start. I think we were saying. You know, he kind of it, it ought to be something we all start together rather than him joining the band that already right. to some extent. I he think. actually he actually came back as about. About a month before that, he said he had a sort of meeting with me and said, um, I've got a few ideas about how we should do things differently. And some of the things were um, quite reasonable. Like he said, he, we should rehearse more often near him rather than him traveling to us all the time and things like that. That's that fair. Yeah, because he was traveling to Lowestoft to rehearse. Right. But so that was fine. But he also said, I also think we need a new name to start again. And we thought, well, I specifically thought, 
Um, I don't really want to do that because I've got a certain amount of momentum yes. up and um, I don't see the point of starting it again. But he, he wanted to go again. And um, so I think they're saying, no, he didn't say anything at the time, but that, and then he didn't show shortly afterwards. Mm. But one of the th- interesting things of this is on this compilation LP that just came out last year on Cloudbury Records, those last three tracks on that record are those that demos tapes that he didn't sing on. Right. But we got him to sing on them only last year. So he added his vocals finally 25 Sorry, years later. We hadn't, we hadn't seen him in over 20 years. Just a quarter of a century. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so he so, came... you, so how did that uh, meeting come together? Contacted him via his sister on Facebook. That's the it? way you track people down and the, uh, these work <laughs> You these won't days. believe this, but your brother used to be in our band. Yeah, that's right. She said, <laughs> yeah. she, and she said, oh, he doesn't do any of that anymore. So that was the line. <laughs> so she wasn't going to put, um, put us in touch with him, yeah. but persuaded her to. And then he moves at his own speed, as Phil, yeah. but, but he did eventually make contact we, with us. We, and he said, we yeah, were quite surprised because, you know, you know he, he, he's not the sort of guy you think, you know, would be big into nostalgia and stuff like that. But. No, Rocky from the record label says, I like these songs, but they'd be better with lyrics on them. Yeah. And we thought, well, we've got, we've got the old tapes. We know what the lyrics were because we had some live tapes, of, right. of, you know, showing how the melodies went and so on. Oh, that was quite funny, so, though. I was sitting around my house trying to listen to these old tapes, trying to write down what the lyrics were from 25 <laughs> years later. It's quite, it was quite surreal, really. It yeah. must have been very- and he went, he went next door, put the cans on and then, Did and then it? sang it. Yeah. yeah, but it was, it was quite, in some ways that was quite good because it kind of, you know, it kind of felt a shame at the end that we kind of, it, it was a shame that we kind of hadn't put that record out, I think. That would have been good if we'd have, you know, if we'd have had the second 12-inch and wasn't to be in that. But, but it was good kind of actually having the songs finished. I kind of felt, you know... <laughs> a certain completion. Yeah. Because yeah. actually there was two things there. I remember um, Fleetwood Mac, you know, their, their famous Rumours lineup. Um, I think Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham always felt like they well, there were still going to be the new kids mm. in the band, even though they'd been there for decades yeah, yeah. and were the ones who created you know, the billions for them, yeah, for yeah. them and made them. But they were always like, well, yeah, you weren't really, yeah, yeah. you're not John McVie or yeah, Chrissy McVie or you know, Mick Fleetwood, you know, so you're always going to be like yeah, the new kids new on kids, the block. Yeah. But it's interesting because I know, or I believe that with the Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street, they had a couple of songs that they never even wrote lyrics for, but they had the music. And I think a couple of years ago, Mick Jagger went back and wrote the lyrics and right, and yeah. sort of recorded it as they one of their many kind of reissue box set, you know, collectors vinyl for yeah, two yeah. hundred pound or something. So so yes. So did that? I mean, so did you have a moment where you two then said the band is kind of over? I think it was a case of the fact because we'd been through these different stages already. It just seemed. We weren't going to get another singer in. We found like that was the definitive lineup at the end. There, we didn't want to replace him again. So yes. yeah, we were yeah, happy to draw a line under yeah, that. So yeah, so yeah, it would have seemed yeah too too strange to have another singer. Yes. And, that, and yeah, so it just seemed like it, it was a shame that we kind of hadn't at least done that that second one and maybe done a, an album or whatever. But it, yeah, it didn't feel at the time like it was it was it was natural to to carry on after that point. Because you, you you seem to have got that famous five year band narrative, yeah, don't you? Almost the, the week. Yeah, and again, you know, we'd we'd had the John Phil play, which is as you say, you know, was the thing you you know you can say, well, let's take that one off. Yes. We, we had some records out, you know, that were. But we went off, so. we went on to form another band, and then we did some more with that, didn't we? So and we said we were talking about it earlier, and we did some telly and things like that there. So, so what was your next band? So I formed with somebody else from the Norwich scene called Grant Madden of Passing Clouds. I formed Halftime Oranges, 
and then Will came along and added some guitar, and then Will moved away for a bit, didn't you? You, yeah, you moved I, to I, Reading, was or was it High Wycombe? Well, Reading, yeah. And um, then he came back, and you were on our second album. So yeah, we that was moderately successful too. So I had two different yes. sort of music careers really working. That's amazing, actually. So then, you know, the other thing that people have a bit of a problem or didn't realise is the wonderful world that is publishing and ownership of music. How did you navigate those waters? Well, because that was all right, because we were on our uh, own label. So, so that you, when always, we came... you always own the music. Yeah, we never had and any the, And the that. master tapes. I remember, um, you know, uh, signing up to the PRS. I remember because those times we got, um, we got the... That played on uh, on Radio One. It's like you, you got a fair bit of money. Yeah, you got, relatively speaking, you got yeah, forty but, pounds for yeah, Pill Play. Yeah, like, yeah because they, they gave you the same amount as if you'd been Elton John played in the afternoon. Well, you got <laughs> yes. the same amount being played at like eleven o'clock at night by Peel. We'd also get because we were putting it on our own label as well. We got PPL royalties mm. as well. We got one for the mechanical rights and things yes. as well. So yeah, we, we were getting a little bit of an income from that. Um, very so rarely did got you, paid to, very got, rarely got paid to play though. <laughs> no. So did you just put the whole thing to bed? You know, the 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 potting sheds. Did that just kind of all just go into your memorabilia box with your master? That's right. Tapes? And it was it was a memorabilia box, and it yeah. wasn't. We didn't really have master tapes because um, we had one one master tape, and we we had one yeah. that master. But most of the stuff we had were just old metal well, that's, tapes. That's the thing. It's, you know, it's going back to the time before before CD. Yes. You know, for recordable CD. So yeah, and, and dats were expensive. I remember. So at the time, when we used to do these recordings, they would they would basically say, you know, they would keep. He would do the. He would master it onto a dat and say, you know, we'll keep it for X, X number of months. So if you need to make a record, you can take it. But we're going to re- we recycle these dats. So if you want it, you have to buy your own dat, and we'll copy it onto that. So, which we we had done and yeah. for a couple of the stuff. But. But so, yeah, it's a, it's fortunately, a... in Norwich, there's a chap who archives the, the music that's going on around here. So, yes. you know, Kingsley. Kingsley. So, he's a legend. So, look, then, how did a, a label based in America, the East Coast, Cloudbury, get in touch with you and, and do this? Because this is quite... Because I know a few bands who just, who've got the flexi, they've done the singles, but they never did an album. And some, some still keep saying, God, I really... I don't, as a member of the band, not me, them, yeah. you know, I don't have the kind of energy, the focus or the skills to do it, but I just wish someone else would do it. So obviously it must be quite nice to have this, but then to have some complete stranger who lives a long way away locating you I is always, quite impressive. I always thought it might happen, actually. I always thought it might be Cherry Red, um, because yes. we did, <laughs> um, we've got some tracks from the Halftime Oranges, we've got some stuff on compilation records with them, so... We had had a connection there. So I thought somebody might do it one day. And then he'd previously interviewed me um, online for, for his blog, um, his indie-flavoured blog. And then we um, he contacted us out of the blue and said, what have you got knocking about? Because I'd quite like to put out... I'm doing a series of you know, um, re-releases of stuff from, from bands, and would you like to be one of them? Yeah. So we said, well, we've got quite a lot of stuff. Because I did have that box in the, in the yeah. roof that you said about... <laughs> With well, stuff in it, yeah, pictures and stuff. It's quite interesting in that perspective, working out, you know, whether we, you know, whether this stuff that hadn't been released hadn't been released for a reason. But, <laughs> <laughs> but listening back in, in, in sort of retrospect was quite interesting, wasn't it? I mean, there was other stuff we could have put on there because they've got 20 tracks on that album, but we did have other stuff and we thought yeah. we had a couple of live songs, didn't we? And yeah. we, we hummed and hard with it to <laughs> let them see the light of day, but we probably made the right decision. Yeah. They weren't that well recorded. Yeah. And what would you say? 
I mean, it's always a bit of a tricky one, what you just say to your 18-year-old self. But what would you say to, you know, what are the top kind of five or three or four bullet points that you would say that you would pass on to somebody? Or, you know, not necessarily say to yourself, because it's kind of a difficult one, unless you've kind of got a TARDIS going back to that period. But, you know, those things that you think, God, I wish we'd done that. Well, I, wish... I don't think we can say it to people now, because this everything's changed. Yes, yeah, this, so is, the, this is such a tricky one. The way you record has changed, and that's completely... Yeah. My first experience of digital recording was with Will last year. <laughs> I hadn't done it um, in the longest time, you see. Yeah. So back, that back was weird. The old day, it was all desks and... We were and desks and reel-to-reel tapes, yeah. And so that had all changed. Obviously, the way you access your public is so different now to, yes. to where it was then. Everybody listened to the same show back then. So if you got on that show, you touched the right people. Now I think it's, it's easier in some ways to get your, your message out there, but you could be lost amongst everybody else trying to get their message out. Well, I think there. everyone says the same. It's a bit like, you know, you could do this, this and this, but then you put it out on a platform and every day there's like thousands of other people doing it you, you haven't got that gatekeeper mm. who's going to say oh just listen to me I've, I've, I've done all the work I've listened to hours of music and I've got five really good indie songs tonight that you're going to really love mm. so I don't think people play record I don't think people want to pay for music necessarily mm. anymore either they're used to yes. getting it for free and which is also a problem well, I think coming back to your question in terms of you know the stuff we that we you know that we did right in terms of having any any sort of longevity of it is the fact that we put the records out because I yeah. think there were lots of people we knew who, who would write good music who, who were kind of hoping and expecting to get signed and for whatever reason that didn't happen and because we kind of because we pushed ahead and put our own records out and made it happen and all that sort of stuff and then we've then got those records they've then kind of taken a bit of a life for themselves you know I mean they people find them people are interested in them they look for them and then it kind of has a bit more of a cash shake so I think that's that's why you know we wouldn't have had that interest you know people wouldn't have that guy wouldn't have known about us if we hadn't put those records out and other people hadn't mentioned them in their blogs yes. and stuff like that so I think I think that was the, the big thing the fact we, we put the record out Rather than just waiting to, you know, either someone signs us and we and it's we're lucky, or someone doesn't, and then you have nothing. Yeah, the second hand market's weird because yeah. I've seen our unsaid <laughs> flexi disc going on eBay for like forty pounds and things like that, and I've got a box up in my loft of about four hundred oh, yeah. of them. If anyone could have one, <laughs> you just destroyed the market. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is true. You can leak that one. Well, actually, fanzines is a particular one that. Matt from Sarah Records started Are You Scared to Get Happy which mm-hmm. which now is just goes for stupid money when yeah. that comes up you know everyone wants that copy of you know because there aren't that many and like I said up to sort of probably 29 years ago your partner would have said can we just chuck this in the recycling yeah. but now it's like no put it on eBay for 50 quid it's like <laughs> oh what happened you know it's a 30 year, it seems to be a very yeah. interesting 30 year thing because when I've asked that question we're about you know like what would you say to your younger self or you know the things you learn and, and often people say you know i wish they had enjoyed it more i wish we'd practiced more wish we'd you know done a few you know they're never like drastic but they're just little things about i just wish we'd you know had a bit more fun doing it i suppose i suppose that was one of the kind yeah. of kind of comebacks yeah, a few people said yeah i wish we hadn't taken so many drugs <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I think we uh maybe it's retro i mean we, we we had quite good fun doing it i don't know if it didn't feel like we we'd not we're not had fun doing it. I, I think i think we we kind of gone into it not ex- you know we weren't going into it expecting to get signed necessarily or to or to or to get anything big so anything we did was was all, yes. was was you know was was 
beyond what we'd initially thought when we started. So. so two years later, when you're watching Top of the Pops and all those guitar bands like My Life Story, you know, Divine Comedy, mm. you know, Sleeper, Elastica and all them, did you think, oh, we kind of could have almost been there ourselves? No, I no we were doing know. something else then and we yeah. were pretty happy with what we were doing then. So yeah. I was in bands sort of from, I would say, from sort of the ages of 20 to 30, and I had sort of 10 years of having a proper, proper good go at it. And then if you look about what we did, and um, we got on the radio quite a lot, we made records, and um, we did quite a few gigs. We didn't particularly tour, not long-run yeah. tours. We regret that a little bit, but we yeah. did like four in a row and things. Um, we did some telly as well, and we did some live TV, didn't we? And, yeah. um, and so we did a fair number of things. The only things that we, I felt that we should have done that we didn't do, we didn't get a Peel session. So mm. even though Peel played us, he didn't give us a session. I, I regret that a little bit. And the one other thing, I said this to Will earlier, and he never knew I thought this, I always wanted somebody to cover our song, one of our songs, yes. and, and nobody ever did. But I'm assuming that there's going to be some young C86 <laughs> fan out there now who's going to want to get into it now. And that is the, the last part of my interview with... Uh, David Miles and also Will Taylor from the Pot in Sheds. A huge thank you for giving me the time for that interview. And like I said, they've got a compilation of their material that has come out or just came out last year on Cloudberry Records. I'm sure you'll be able to track it down and find it and buy it because Christmas is just around the corner. There you go. It's going to be one of those magic presents. But uh, thank you for listening. This has been David Easter on the C86 show. If you want to contact me, um, just in case, not in a desperate way, obviously, um, you can on Twitter or Facebook go to C86 sixth show i will be there and um, hopefully i'll be able to say it without stuttering over over the s and c's um so yes have a good week and i'll leave you with another track by the band this is titled take it away Turns in the